Good morning. We are um, continuing in our study of the book of Matthew. It's been a delightful uh, two years so far. And um, we're going to look at Matthew 22. So please turn there. In our study several weeks ago, we heard several confrontational questions by the chief priests and elders as the Lord Jesus was teaching in the temple. Specifically, they said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Not friendly questions. In response, the Lord Jesus spoke to them three parables that really asserted his authority. Okay, so they're saying, where do you get this authority? Jesus responded, fire, by uh, speaking the parables uh, with authority. The first one was the two sons. And um, we read about the, uh, um, the, in this parable, the son said he'd go and he didn't, and the other son said he wouldn't go and he did. And Jesus used that parable to show that the unrighteous tax collectors and harlots would enter the kingdom of God before the self-righteous Pharisees. The second parable the Lord taught, we um, looked at last week, the religious leaders rejected God's son as Messiah, but God would exalt Jesus as the chief cornerstone. And um, that was the parable of the vineyard and um, the cornerstone that the uh, religious leaders had rejected. The interesting statement in Matthew 21, 43 is that the kingdom of God would be taken away from the Jewish leaders. I'm taking that kingdom away from you and um, God would set aside favored Israel for these despised Gentiles. Not good news for the um, uh, the Jewish leaders. This week, we will look at the third of the three parables and we will observe the continuing goodness and long-suffering of the Lord in his dealings with, um, with these religious leaders. Um, interesting to note also in uh, verse 45 of uh, chapter 21, Chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables and uh, they perceived that he was speaking of them. There's no question in the Pharisees' mind that, um, that uh, Jesus was uh, condemning them. Jesus hammered away at their arrogant resistance and um, we're going to see that intensify in the chapters to come. To aid our understanding and appreciation of this parable, I'd like to look at it in, uh, in three steps. I'd like to uh, observe what's here, go through uh, 14 verses observing what's there, then I'd like to go back and interpret uh, those verses, and then at the finish, as the Lord allows, um, apply, okay, apply. So, Three good steps in Bible study. Observe, interpret, and apply. We'll do that this morning. 
So we'll read. Matthew 22, verse 1. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out to the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Lord, I just uh, pray again that you'd bless uh, our study this morning. We know that there are profound, powerful truths here and uh, hearts who uh, we need to hear um, these truths. We pray you'd be with us in a special way. Amen. The king arranged a marriage for his son. The wedding feast would be an event of festive joy. Think of our own weddings. It was a joy that was characteristic of the kingdom of heaven. I received in the mail a big envelope, heavy envelope, like there were two envelopes in here. It's got the extra postage for the extra weight. And uh, what do you think this is? It's formal. I mean, it's got formal writing on it. Um, what could this be? Let's open and see. Ah, another envelope. Oh, very nice. It's a wedding invitation. Mr. and Mrs. request the pleasure of your company at the marriage of their daughter. How nice. This is a long time ago, but it's an invitation to a wedding. And uh, I remember it, a very, very pleasant time, very festive. And so the king had issued, had sent out an invitation to, uh, to these people, and they should have been honored to receive uh, an invitation from the king. Every loyal subject would want to take part in this uh, festive occasion. So in verse 3, the, um, the king sent out his servants to call those who were invited. And uh, they were not willing to come. Imagine if, um, 
if the governor or some other uh, important government official invited you to a wedding and uh, you weren't willing to go, what an insult to, uh, to his, his position, to his authority. The king sent other servants in verse 4 with a more urgent appeal. He said, look, I have prepared my dinner. All things are ready. Come, come to the wedding. He's, uh, it's more than just an invitation at this point. It's, uh, it's turned into a command. Come, come to the wedding. The response by those who received the call were that they made light of it in verse 5 and went their ways. They disregarded it. We, um, years ago, sent um, a Christmas card to our, um, our landlord and put the rent in the Christmas card. <laughs> and uh, the, the landlord called a few weeks later and he said, did you guys put your rent in the Christmas card? Yeah, yeah, we did. He said, uh, we, threw, we threw all the Christmas cards away. Would you mind sending your rent again? <laughs> he disregarded it. It's just a Christmas card. Okay? So that's what these invited people did with the king's call. They blew it off. They said, you've got to be crazy. I've got important things to do today. I don't have time for a wedding. These whom the king invited were more preoccupied with their own personal stuff than with the king's business. In a similar uh, uh, feast in Luke 14, they give excuses and listen to these. Uh, the first one who was invited said, I've bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I'm, I ask you to uh, have me excused. Still another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So they, they just, um, um, they, uh, they made light of it. They went about their own business. Uh, verse 6, interestingly, it says, uh, the rest seized his servants. So uh, the idea there is um, that as the servants were pleading the call, they were saying, come, the wedding is ready, that a lot of these guys just turned their backs and walked off. There were some hardened individuals who stayed, and they, uh, they seized the messengers. Uh, the messengers got more insistent, more uh, urgent, and uh, the, uh, those invited said, we've had enough. They seized them, they abused them, and they killed them. When the king heard about it, he was outraged. In verse 7, he sent out his armies and destroyed the murderers and, and uh, burned their city. Not cities, their city. That's going to be significant. Someone may ask, well, shouldn't, ha shouldn't the king have sent a delegation to the rebels uh, to sue for peace? Shouldn't the king have had mercy on them? Well, the king 
had mercy on them. He invited them to his son's wedding feast. He was kind and long-suffering, but patience had its limit, and uh, justice was needed. There was no honor for the king to wait any further. He would be prolonging the insult. So the king acted swiftly, purposefully, decisively. He didn't falter through doubt or double-mindedness, and he destroyed those murderers. The wedding hall is empty. So in verse, um, verse 8, the king uh, sent his servants again. He said, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. The highway, in, in the original language, was uh, really a um, uh, crossroads. It was, uh, it was where the highways meet. And uh, in the king's thinking, I'm going to find more people at the crossroads than I am on stretches of highways. So that's where he sent his servants, to, uh, to the crossroads. These, um, in verse 8, uh, the king said, those who were invited were not worthy. Well, they, they weren't deserving of, of the king's favor. <clears throat> We would expect that if you go to the highway and start uh, <laughs> collecting people from the highway, they're going to be even less worthy, but uh, not in the king's thinking. So he tells the servants, invite as many as you find. There were no qualifications, no restrictions, no nationality requirement. You didn't have to have a passport to show that you were a a citizen, he said, bring them all. What a diverse lot. The servants gathered all. Vagabonds, vendors on their way to market, vacationers, well-to-do, the poor, fugitives of justice, they all came. Um, it says, um, the Lord Jesus said, both bad and good. Uh, that may mean without regard to their moral integrity, uh, without uh, their loyalty to the king, but um, whatever, whoever, they brought them into the hall. And what echoed with emptiness now was uh, a buzz with, uh, with a great crowd in the, in the hall. But, verse 11, when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. Um, the king entered the hall to survey his guests. What was he expecting to see? An auditorium full of festive people in their finest attire, clothing? He would have been disappointed. There was one man in his plain street clothes. He would not have been difficult to spot in this crowd. The king had, um, had offered all his guests wedding garments as, uh, as a show of his magnificence, his generosity. He would, as they came through the door, he would have said, you know, what's your size? Here's, uh, here's a nice wedding garment for you. But this one guest must have felt like he didn't need one. No thanks, I don't need a wedding garment. 
There was no qualification for the man's invitation, but there was a very strict requirement for his entry into the hall, sitting down and enjoying the feast. He had to have a wedding garment, and this man had none. Hugo and Lydia, your, um, your grandson was here for a wedding a few, uh, few weeks ago, and I wonder if I'd been invited to the wedding, could I wear what I want? This is mine. It's mine. It's my, uh, my nice coveralls. I have matching boots. I'll polish them. And maybe a, maybe a hat to top it off. You know, I can iron, I can iron a nice crease into the, um, to the coveralls. Would that be suitable for uh, your grandson's friend's wedding? Afraid not. But that's what I would have, may have worn on the highway, okay? That's uh, what I came in with, and um, that's me. Isn't that good enough? No, it wasn't. Maybe if you'd seen me at the, at the wedding, um, you would have tried to move me to uh, one of the outer seats, maybe in the kitchen, away from, uh, away from the view. So the king confronted him. He said, friend. It's not a term of endearment. It's a, uh, a term of association in the, in the original. He wasn't uh, calling him his buddy. He said, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? The king went right up to him. And the man was speechless. He was, uh, he was uh, utterly um, without excuse. Even if he had offered an excuse, the king didn't want to hear it. He was offended. Why only one guest? We'll look at that in a moment. The king ejected him from the wedding. In verse 13, he said to his servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He bound him. He wasn't going to tolerate any resistance from this, um, this misdressed uh, guest. And uh, from the brightly lighted, festive atmosphere of the um, auditorium, he was thrust into outer darkness where, uh, where there was pain and, uh, and suffering. The Lord gives um, a commentary on this whole parable in verse 14, he says, for many are called and few are chosen. And we'll look at that as we, uh, as we look at the interpretation. So, uh, I see a few inquisitive uh, uh, faces. What does the parable mean? What do you think? What do you think of the parable? Uh, of the Lord Jesus. The, the Lord seems to use extremes to make his point, but as we look at the interpretation, we'll find it's not so extreme, but it really uh, fits reality. Okay, so let's go back 
to the, let's go back to the start. The king, who's the king? In verse two, that certain king is the Lord, okay? He prepared a, mes- uh, a marriage feast for his son. That's the Lord Jesus. Where's the bride? Bride doesn't figure into this parable. It's not important. What we're looking at is the king. 16 references to the king in 14 verses. All right? So uh, think about the king. The servants in verse 3 were those um, who in the Lord Jesus' earthly ministry appealed to the nation of Israel to follow Messiah, to, uh, to repent of their sin and come to the Messiah and follow him. Uh, they would have been John the Baptist and the 12 disciples and maybe, um, maybe Old Testament prophets as well. But they appealed to Israel only. Matthew 10, uh, the Lord sent, uh, sent out 12 and commanded them saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So um, they were ministering to those who had already been invited. These, um, the Jewish nation had already received their invitation from the Lord and he was calling them, calling them to follow. Okay, so those invited were the nation of Israel, especially these uh, religious leaders, the elders, the Pharisees. God's heart desire was for their loyalty and their prosperity, but um, they would not follow God's Son as Messiah. We read in John 1, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and his own received him not. So in verse 3, um, uh, they were not willing to come, and uh, really the Jews responded to the call with dullness and de- uh, deafness and with disinterest. In verse 4, the, uh, the king sent out other servants Because he says in verse 4, all things are ready, it suggests that the Lord Jesus had already been crucified, that the way was open for communion with him. All things are ready. Come. uh, Come to the feast. Then uh, these servants would have been those in the book of Acts. Philip, Stephen, Paul, Timothy, Their ministry, again, was primarily to the nation of Israel. In Acts 11, we read that those who were scattered after the persecution that arose after Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. Their response in the book of Acts was that they made light of it and went their ways. And in verse 6, they, they seized these servants and abused them and killed them. Interesting uh, word in verse 5, they made light of the, uh, the call, that is they disregarded or they neglected it. The word for 
made light of is the same word as we find in Hebrews 2.3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? They neglected it. They cast it aside. They would have none of it. Those invited turned their backs and uh, the rest seized the servants, treated them spitefully and killed them. The clarity and simplicity of the gospel message seemed to provoke the violence of the, um, uh, of the Jews, and so they killed them. They martyred Stephen, and they, um, they caused uh, Paul so much grief and suffering before uh, having him killed as well. The king was furious in verse 7. He killed the murderers and burned up their city. Well, this is really prophetic of the destruction of Jerusalem. In A.D. Uh, 70, Titus, a uh, Roman general, came in and he sieged. He laid siege to the, uh, the city of Jerusalem. And uh, he, uh, he burned it. He destroyed it. Not one stone left on another. That's the significance of city. Uh, he burned their city. It was Jerusalem that the Lord had in his prophecy in, in mind. The king's armies in, um, in verse 7 were those Roman legions who um, followed Titus. They were not loyal to God but they were instruments of God's judgment, and so they were his armies. Well, the king sent out his call to those on the highway. The wedding was ready, but the wedding hall was empty. The, um, the Jews were not worthy, the end of verse 8. They disqualified themselves. In Acts 13, we read... Uh, that on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city, this is Antioch and Pisidia, came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should, first, should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it, you judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Behold, we turn to the Gentiles. So here's, uh, here's Paul turning to, uh, to the Gentiles to minister the gospel, God sending out his servants to the highways. The highway those on the highway represent the New Testament Jew and Gentile. There's a wideness in God's mercy, like the wideness of the sea. There's a kindness in God's justice, which is more than liberty. There is welcome for the sinner and more graces for the good. There is mercy with the Savior. There is healing in his blood. We see the, um, the ministry of the evangelist uh, go into the highways, as many as you find, invite to the wedding, in verse 9. So these uh, evangelists gathered all whom they found without regard to, um, 
to nationality again, um, showing no partiality, no preference of one person over another. The call goes out to, uh, to all um, on the highway. And again, both bad and good at the uh, end of verse 10. Uh, it didn't matter what your moral integrity is. It doesn't matter what your religious uh, upbringing may be. The, um, the tares were gathered with the wheat in Matthew 13. The good fish and the bad were caught in the dragnet and brought to shore. So these would have um, represented true and false professors in the kingdom of heaven. They were all gathered together. In verse 11, the king came in to see the guests and saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. Well, um, what is the wedding garment? It is simply God's righteousness. The prophet Isaiah really answered this beautifully for us in um, chapter 61, verse 10. He wrote, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Isaiah had no righteousness to boast in, but he, he rejoiced that the Lord gave him a garment of salvation, a robe of righteousness that he, should, he could wear, and he boasted in that. God provides the garment of grace through the sacrifice of his own son. We read in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might, be, might become the righteousness of God in him. So instead of wearing um, filthy, uh, this is really clean, um, I, I washed it, but instead of wearing filthy rags of uh, self-righteousness, the, um, the Lord offers uh, this garment of, um, of salvation, and it's... Um, uh, at the purchase price of the Lord Jesus' life, that that, um, that righteousness is available. We sang in our opening hymn this morning, A debtor to mercy alone, of covenant mercy I sing, nor fear with your righteousness on my person and offering to bring. The terrors of law and of God with me can have nothing to do. My Savior's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from view. Uh, hymn writers seem to uh, really praise the Lord for this garment, and um, Nicholas von Zinzendorf wrote uh, a hymn also, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress. Midst flaming worlds in these arrayed, with joy shall I lift up my head. The garment of salvation is free to us very costly, very expensive for the Lord to provide. God requires righteousness, his righteousness, if we're going to partake of his feast. Some feel uh, that they're quite sufficient on their own, 
They say, if heaven doesn't want me, I don't want to be there. And in Romans 10, we read uh, verse 3, they being ignorant of God's righteousness are seeking to establish their own righteousness, not having submitted to the righteousness of God. The God of heaven wants you, and he wants you on the basis of his righteousness. So it's not, uh, the argument is not, if heaven doesn't want me, the Lord wants you, but he wants you on his terms. The king confronted the inappropriately dressed guest in verse 12. Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? Just one. Why? The significance there is that um, the king examines each one of his guests. There's no corner to hide in. If you're in the auditorium, he's, he's going to see you. You can't, uh, you can't hide behind those who are wearing the garb of righteousness. Um, you'll stand out. And so I think that's the significance of the single guest. He says, friend. It's the same word that Jesus used to address Judas when Judas came up and kissed him, betraying him. Friend, why have you come? It's not, uh, it's not an endearment to Judas, and it wasn't to the um, inappropriately dressed man. The man was speechless. He had no defense. And this really speaks of Romans 3, 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth might be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. So a person may have been a smooth talker. He may have been able to talk himself out of a CHP arrest, okay? Um, and he may think, well, I'm going to be able to uh, talk, sweet talk my way out of uh, eternal judgment. But his mouth will be stopped as God presents the charge sheet against him. He's guilty. The law says he is guilty and, uh, and he will not have a defense. The wedding feast really doesn't picture heaven, but rather the kingdom of heaven on earth. Um, and it's made up of true and false professors, those who profess allegiance to the king. And so don't fear that uh, those in heaven would ever be cast into outer darkness. Uh, once in Christ, we're in Christ forever. The king ordered this man to be bound hand and foot. Uh, there was no resistance uh, to the king's will, and uh, there was no appeal to any other authority. God is that ultimate authority. The outer darkness is a place of pain and remorse. And one Bible commentator said it's a place of um, continued rebellion, the gnashing of teeth, the hatred, the bitterness in, uh, in punishment, in hell. Uh, and he says that... Um, Hell is not a place of purification. It's a place of punishment. Well, the Lord summarized. 
he, he made a comment on this whole, um, this whole parable in verse 14. He said, many are called, but few are chosen. Okay, so what, what does that mean? Many are called. We saw it in verse 3. He sent out servants to call those who were invited. In, um, in, verse, um, in verse 5, he, he called uh, the uh, second time. In verse 10, he called uh, those in the highway. God calls out of the world through his gospel, through his good news. But he chooses few. He calls many, he calls all, but he chooses few. God's choosing is different from his calling. So if all are called, how do I know if I'm chosen? That's, that's got to be the, the big question. The person is chosen who puts on the righteousness of Christ. It's simple. It's just so simple. We complicate things, but um, that's how a person knows that he's chosen, is he puts on the righteousness of Christ. My friend, uh, my real friend, uh, argued um, that he would not come to Jesus because if he was chosen, God would take him to heaven anyway, and if he was not chosen, God was not going to take him to heaven anyway. Okay? <laughs> he's for real. He's totally missing the point. God offers righteousness. Free. A free gift. A garment to wear. And my friend refuses it. He says, I will not take it. I'm either chosen or I'm not chosen. And you see, uh, he's complicated things. We simplify. How do, I, how do I know if I'm chosen? Because I've trusted in the Lord Jesus. I've I've thrown aside my own self-righteousness. That's all gone. And now I'm trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ uh, that he performed on the cross of Calvary. That work is done, okay? And I, I place my trust in him. I, that, way, that I know I'm chosen. I'm chosen by God. Okay, so we've got a minute and a half to make application. We looked at observation, we interpreted the, uh, the parable uh, by way of application. There is a feast. God has prepared a marriage uh, for his son. Do not refuse the Lord's invitation. Do not reject his call. If you only knew the blessings that salvation brings, you would never stay away. If you only saw the table spread with lovely things, you would come to the feast today. The door is open wide. The Savior bids you come. There is nothing you have to pay. So be wise and step inside, and do not be like some who have thrown their only chance away. As you accept the king's invitation, put on his righteousness. Accept that garment that God offers. It's his provision of, of righteousness for you. And then you will know that you are chosen. Let's pray. Powerful truths this morning, Lord. We pray that we take them to heart by your Holy Spirit and um, 
uh, put our trust in you if we don't know you already. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus. Amen.